Uh, Malcolm Honline joins us next. I want to remind everybody that on the 9th of July, which is just over four weeks from now, on the 9th of July, uh, Malcolm Honline is uh, one of the featured speakers on a uh, Costa Rica tour uh, that will include the Baltic region. Um, the Jewish Heritage Cruise will offer extensive lectures and incredible Jewish interest excursions at every port. Ports include Poland, Lithuania, Russia, Finland, Sweden, and Berlin. An additional visit major secular sites. The cruise leaves you with an in-depth first-hand exploration of European Jewish life throughout the ages. A memorable and moving post-cruise Shabbat in Berlin hosted by Rabbi Stephen Weil and Malcolm Honline. And all proceeds from this uh, unique journey go back to the Jewish community. You can go to kosherica.com. The entire itinerary and details are up there. And for information, you can email 613travel at gmail.com. Again, 613travel at gmail.com. As we said, it leaves on the 9th of July, so act fast. 613travel at the gmail.com. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us on this Erev Shabbos, Erev Erev Yom Tov at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Uh, Good morning. It's great to be with you. Long weekend and long Shabbat shows ahead. You say that with uh, with great anticipation, I must say. Uh, with joy and uh, anticipation, <laughs> Expect, absolutely. Expecting to get a little bit of rest and spend some family time, huh? I hope so. For a change. With, uh, <laughs> yes, absolutely. By the way, this cruise, you'll be visiting a lot of areas, uh, a lot of parts of the world where uh, it's getting very interesting for members of the Jewish community. I say this during a time when, again, and I know that I've been saying this uh, often over the last month or so, uh, we continue on a weekly basis to see stories about anti-Semitism, to see uh, uh, different policies that are being either encouraged or implemented by governments, colleges, etc. And I'm sure you saw this article by uh, uh, Pastor Hagee. I think he really summed it up well uh, when he said that uh, anti-Semitism has been dangerously rebranded. He, of course, is referring to the fact that, you know, in addition to or maybe aside from uh, violent attacks against Jews, and unfortunately we still see those, the BDS movement, uh, the policies that are being implemented, the way people um, uh, 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 the way people um, uh, put their anti-Semitism, uh, you know, behind some type of veil, uh, when they uh, speak about different uh, different policies that they'd like to see implemented, et cetera, et cetera. And he claims it's not just a Jewish problem. He says it's a problem uh, that all human beings should be concerned with. You know, Malcolm, I'll be – I was thinking about this this morning. You know, in the old days, and I don't mean to sound too <laughs> too old, but or I should say it differently. There was a time where if one wanted to combat the most obvious type of anti-Semitism – one decided if they wanted to get involved literally in a physical struggle. Now it is, on many levels, it's much more difficult. Now you got to get out there. You have to be educated. You have to understand the positions. You have to understand where people are coming from. You certainly have to understand the ramifications of things like BDS and when people are hiding behind, uh, you know, other statements when when they take to the streets. In many ways, that can be much more difficult for people. And uh, that may make this battle of anti-Semitism much harder than, than in years past. 
It's absolutely harder in, in a sense. It, it, uh, when you have one identified source, even if it's not one individual, but let's say the anti-Semitism of the left, the anti-Semitism of the right, here you have multiple sources of anti-Semitism. And the um, in, interesting uh, report that came out, a new poll done of over a 1,000 likely U.S. voters, showed that they identified um, Islamic sources, Muslim extremists, as responsible for 37% of anti-Semitism, 28% to right-wing extremists, and 22% to left-wing extremists. But 60% of Americans say anti-Semitism is happening more frequently today than 15 years ago, and that the majority considered support for BDS to be anti-Semitic. And uh, a plurality said that the U.S. should oppose, uh, should support Israel in opposing BDS. And in 75% said it was in America's interest to have Israel as its closest ally in the Middle East. And the the favorable and versus unfavorable was 51 to 21, uh, unfavorable on Israel. So the American people as a whole are, are recognizing the, the danger that exists right now and the uh, nature of the threat. And we saw from New York uh, uh, Police Department, uh, which is keeping very close statistics and watch on this, that it jumped so far this year, just since January 1st, by 64% the number of hate crimes, but the number of attacks from, against Jews was up from 112 in 2018 in this period to 184, meaning that 60-some percent of the attacks are against Jews, mm. the hate crimes. So people who, who today, you know, still poo-poo it and say, look, it's, it's right-wing extremists, it's left-wing extremists, it's everyone. And the numbers, you know, speak for themselves. And people who... You know, um, didn't want to hear this, these arguments years ago when we put them forward. Um, need only look at the accounts from the from our campuses and a number of incidents uh, virtually every day. The calls I got just this week about incidents on, on New York subways where people were just approached sitting in the subway, told we hate Jews. And, and in one case, a uh, woman physically assaulted. Uh, somebody she identified as, as a Jewish woman. How disturbing is it, and what's the proper reaction when groups that call for equality, groups gather in Washington demanding equality, demanding that everybody respect everybody of all backgrounds, of all lifestyles, etc., and they themselves uh, come out with statements and policies that are, that are either directly or veiled anti-Semitic, uh, what is the proper reaction to that? Well, I think today the proper reaction is that we call out, we name and shame on the one hand, but more importantly, I think it is to highlight those who do the right thing, those university presidents, those others who stood up against anti-Semitism. I just was in Washington this week and happened to be with Senator Wyden as he got information that they passed a mandatory Holocaust education in Colorado, and it was a 14-year-old Catholic girl who spearheaded that drive and was responsible for the passage of that, uh, of the... Um, you know of the legislation, but but you know there are symbolic acts. There are uh, there are multiple le- levels, and each one requires a specific response. I think that people in Fairlawn uh, this week and Highland Park rather uh, really acted uh, responsibly. The rabbis got involved, did the right thing, the right way. 
Um, and and on the other hand, we see people mobilizing Chicago against a, a new monument they put up honoring a Lithuanian World War II era commander who collaborated with the Nazis. He led a gang of vigilantes that, that persecuted the Jews in a particular part in, in Lithuania. And, and a monument is, is, has been put up in his honor and the certain communities, others strongly back it, don't want to hear about uh, the fact that uh, that he was a collaborator with the Nazis. And in each case, you have to do it intelligently, thought through, not just knee-jerk reaction, apply our resources, which are not unlimited, to the in the most effective way. And it is to get legislation, to get more aid to our institutions to do uh, put up security and get those in authority to stand up and speak out. And what, no matter where it comes from or who it comes from, it is to 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 be prepared, as we learned from lessons from the past, that nothing is ignored and nothing is insignificant in this battle. And you don't know what then happens. And it, and it means getting involved politically and making sure the right people get elected and that the wrong people don't get elected. Speaking of elected, by the way, uh, and, and I, I have to be careful because some of these public officials that I will criticize for this have been so rightfully outspoken on this topic. I mean, there's certain public officials that are just saying the right things and are encouraging their own officials and police departments to act with great diligence when it comes to hate crimes, etc. But when, but But we also have to be there when public officials decree that anti-Semitism is strictly a right-wing movement to remind, and those who say it's a strictly a left-wing movement, to remind them that it is a movement across the board and that there is plenty of evidence on both sides of the political aisle, and political I mean, you know, outside of Washington, obviously, but both sides of the, of, of the you know, of the ideology aisle uh, that, that are responsible for this anti-Semitic feeling. It's true, and there are statistics, you know, which directed towards one group or another. Like in Germany, they, they announced a very significant increase in the number of anti-Semitic attacks, but said that 90% of the anti-Semitic events come from right-wing sources. But in their system, they lump together those that emerge from uh, any attack by a Muslim is identified as a right-wing attack. So the numbers and the statistics don't really reflect uh, the reality of of where it's coming from and who's perpetrating it. Yeah, and we have to also call out when ethnic or religious leaders, uh, whether it's in a mosque or a church or any place else, or uh, uh, people with uh, with titles or people in authority, have to be held to account. And and you know the the um, uh, and there's no immunity in this. Um, we're about to enter a holiday tomorrow night where, where God gives us the greatest gift, but because of these, those circumstances, it seems the rest of the world has been paying very careful attention to us since that time. And I guess it's just one of the burdens that we have, uh, uh, having this unique gift from the one above. I'm not, I'm not in any way bemoaning it. I'm just saying the irony that uh, you know, we, we are encouraged to be a certain way, behave a certain way, and certainly be a light unto the nations. And at the same time, so many out there are trying to knock us down, trying to criticize us, and, and, and trying to exhibit their hatred on a regular basis. But it's because we have a Torah. It's because of our values. It's because of the fact that we set a standard that, that we are held to. Uh, to a higher, we hold ourselves to a higher standard um, is part of the reason why 
people hate the Jews. It is because of who we are. It's, it's a war against the Jewish people, the Jewish nation, the Jewish uh, Torah, the, the Jewish state. And all of them are, are interrelated. Each one finds a different form of expression. But from the Nazis to the to the Romans, they would yell, hep, hep, Jerusalem, Pedita, Jerusalem is lost, because that was a way of denigrating and saying that the Jews had no future. And if you, you get down to the bottom line, you see that, that the themes remained the same throughout all of these eras, from the Crusaders till today, from even earlier periods, that the... the um, uh, messages and the themes and what it is. It's not because we did something wrong in the same way we didn't do anything wrong when uh, Pharaoh imprisoned, uh, enslaved the Jews. He said, he doesn't cite anything they did wrong. He just said, well, maybe they'll grow strong and here they are contributing and, and maybe they'll go with our enemies when there's no evidence that anybody had any intent of doing it. Yeah. You know, yesterday yesterday was quite a day on the uh, 75th anniversary of D-Day and it, it, I, I, scary may be the wrong word, but it's it's concerning as they continue to reiterate how the majority of the people you see at these uh, memorials are not, are not going to be around the next time a significant anniversary uh, is being uh, celebrated, commemorated, whatever word you want to use. And it's such an important day when so many went ahead, gave their lives to literally battle tyranny and defeat tyranny uh, at the greatest expense, obviously. And you know we and we have the same thing in our community as we watch so many survivors now coming toward the end of their lives, and it's just concerning. I'm glad there's film and video and testimony that obviously can go on forever because of the formats we have now, but it is different. It is different when uh, you know when people of a certain age have really lived with these uh, these heroes and survivors, etc. And now we're getting to generations that will not be interacting with them nearly as often or not at all. And I don't know. Is it is it scary? Is it concerning? Is it is it something you think about? Of course, it's it's very scary that uh, the Holocaust denial. While still, you have eyewitness to with both the American troops who liberated some of the camps and the victims. Of course, the survivors. All those the both populations are dwindling very fast, and there are by the uh, next uh, twenty five year anniversary, none of them will be around, and it's it's. Um, it should be, and, and it means that the next generation has to take upon itself the responsibility to perpetuate the lessons, to talk to those survivors, and then make sure that the message gets out. Look, we, we don't have less challenges today. It, the difference from 80 years ago, 75 years ago, is that we have a state of Israel with an IDF and an IAF. But the world itself, look at the indifference, look at the amount of anti-Semitism that is being tolerated, and look at the... Uh, reactions and the and the growth of the extremist parties in in Europe and and even in the United States, the polarization um, that should be a warning sign to all. Yeah, no question about it. America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored digital radio around the world, the web and AlchemSegal dot com and the AlchemSegal network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. We should point out an amazing showing. You know, it's 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 sometimes easy for us because of the position we're at on 64th Street, to tell what type of crowd there is. And I know it's all about the weather. I know a lot of people like coming out when the weather's good, and we got really lucky this past Sunday. But thank God tens of thousands did want to come out and celebrate Israel, and we should commend everybody for that. So Baruch Hashem, we had an opportunity to celebrate Israel. But speaking of Israel, uh, we have another election coming up in September, as you know. Um, the, the What was the reason that Prime Minister Netanyahu no longer wanted 
um, and Aftali Bennett and Ayala Chaked to be ministers in his government? That's a very good question. Uh, I'm not sure I know the the true answer, uh, but we do know that he he did not want to build them up and have them be at the uh, strategic cabinet meeting and the... um, and I think that he, he wanted to um, cut them off because as long as they uh, occupy the position, and I think if he didn't remove them then, then he couldn't remove them until the election wow. um, because there was a deadline. And the, the, so he uh, took them out right then and replaced them with Likud people. Uh, so, so now you have 105 days of disarray coming. <laughs> uh, there's a... Uh, you know, we believe strongly in democracy, but everything can be overdone. And having two elections because of one person and because of, well, in this case, uh, it boils down at this stage to one person. But obviously, right. it had to do with a lot of people who didn't vote or voted different parties. And it created a circumstance where he did not have a, a, a no party ever had enough to, to form a government alone, and once you have, go into coalitions, you have to negotiate, and you have to make concessions, and everybody can hold um, the prime minister hostage as he rushes to form a government. Um, and he didn't want to leave the possibility to somebody else whom he could, or that they would turn to Benny Gantz, even though they, they, it doesn't look like he could have put together the, the vote. Instead, he he, he, they had a majority to disband the Knesset, which means that it's over. You go right to elections. There's no more uh, – the president can't then negotiate with anybody else. Last week I proposed uh, that it's possible that the Israeli public, especially those who have been vocally for Bibi, uh, might regard this as a little bit of chicanery, may not be happy with the fact that he – did this to the government without giving a chance to someone else, the former government. And they they may just get you know they may just view it in that manner a little bit too a little bit too many magical tricks or fun and games. Uh, this week I read and I want to propose that a second election in September, because of the possibility of more people being cynical about the whole process now at this point, could lead to a much lower voter turnout. Are you willing to believe that Israelis who are traditionally known for large voter turnouts could really be turned off from going to the polls in September? Oh, I absolutely believe that uh, people could be turned off. I hear it in in the expressions now. It could hurt uh, Netanyahu's uh, chances that people just get tired. But right now, nobody else has been identified that they would rather rally behind Mm. unless there's some internal Likud revolution, which doesn't appear likely. Um, And we don't know if anything else will happen on the legal front with Netanyahu, uh, even though they did not give him the delay that he requested for a year for for the uh, for the first and interviews and, and uh, he, uh, him uh, being interviewed by the police and processing processes uh, really get underway, um, which was a setback for him. But right now, there doesn't seem to be anybody else emerging that is is seen as a, a more popular candidate. But, you know, many of the people who turn out, young people especially, could right. be turned off and saying, look, it doesn't matter. They just go back to another election. They manipulate. They... And I wonder how necessary it is to really have a, a strong popular opponent. Like, I, 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 it may just be enough to keep people away that the whole process has gone down this road, you know, in this direction. I mean, I need to rally around somebody else. Um, you know, that's my point is that right. I don't see them rallying around right. uh, somebody else. So, 
and and most predictions are that you'll have more or less the same turnout because nothing radical has happened that that would change it, uh, except that many young people voted for Netanyahu, and the question is, can he keep that vote? Uh, and look, we don't know. We see what happened with the new discovery of that tunnel and the exposure of the tunnel right. in the north, and the fact that the Hezbollah is continuing its activities, um, and that the the um, situation in the south, which at any time uh, Iran could activate the Palestinian Islamic right. Jihad. I want just one just one more thing on the on the Knesset breakdown, though, before we get to the to to, to those. Uh, issues. The the if in fact one believes that the three hundred thousand votes that went to this candidate that ended up with no mandates and etc. You know etc. 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 If if all those you know really cost in the long run Netanyahu the ability to form a government, is it possible that he that that they will be able to reach some type of agreement now, like in the month of June, uh, to either you know keep those small parties out of the election completely? or some other type of arrangement that could be utilized to Lee Hood's advantage, or the small parties are declaring they're in just like last time, and that's it, and everybody's got to live with it. Well, right now they're all in, and all the parties are in, including Bayt Yudi, are, are, are going to be running again. And I do think Netanyahu's argument will be, "We, I warned you not to vote for the other parties, right. that if you want a right-wing government, you've got to vote for Lee Hood. Right. And I will, you know, follow those the same policies. And I assume, and I assume he warned the small parties last time not to even run, and they didn't, you know, and it fell on deaf ears. Well, he wanted them to merge, and and the thought of Kahlon has already said that he will merge with uh, in Likud. Um, But there was expectations that others might, and some of these smaller parties, including Lieberman, might pay the price. He might be rewarded for having Mm. stood up against the Haredim or stood up for whatever, uh, or or any other. And he could be punished for having brought this on. It's been the cost of uh, a huge amount of money uh, and what people essentially consider a waste. Uh, And the same thing with uh, some of the other parties that were marginal could not be uh, not pass the threshold again. Oh, great point. All right, uh, back to the facts on the ground, or in some cases underground. Uh, tell me about the rocket manufacturing equipment in Gaza. Well, they have discovered that, number one, it looks like they're back to the pre-conflict number of rockets, meaning that they have about 10,000 wow. rockets. And increasingly, they have the facilities for manufacturing the rockets domestically so you don't have the problem of shipments. It's the same thing with that. Uh, Iran moving its uh, capacity for uh, for Hezbollah to to manufacture rockets because it's so difficult to get them there, and that Israel has intercepted so many of the shipments or the depots in Syria that they uh, produced the, the factories in uh, in Lebanon that will manufacture and assemble the the rockets themselves right there. The United States presented them with a, a, a pictures of some of the facilities that Hezbollah has, and we'll see what the the Lebanese government does. By the way, it it is interesting that the Lebanese government is sitting in direct talks with Israel and Cyprus and elsewhere, um, uh, mediated by Mr. Satterfield from the State Department, uh, trying to demarcate the uh, boundaries both on land and sea between Israel and, and Lebanon so that we can avoid a conflict with their claims over territorial waters that which, as we know now, are rich in in deposits of natural gas and maybe oil, 
that they, um, they're they trying to work it out between them. So you have Israel and Lebanon talking directly at the same time as we've seen the buildup of uh, the capacity in, in Lebanon and the role of Hezbollah in Lebanon not being diminished um, at all. Does Hezbollah know that Israel's in those conversations? Uh, yeah, it's not it's not exactly a secret, but uh, more importantly, Iran knows, right. uh, and, and we're seeing you know Iran being more aggressive. It's not that they've taken a more passive uh, um, uh, position. By the way, we're seeing more conflict between Russia and Iran in Syria, which doesn't get much attention, but there have been growing uh, conflicts, and we we saw Russia um, together with the Syrian troops getting rid of the. Uh, pro-Iranian militias from the Tartus port, which a year ago Syria authorized Iran to acquire a multi-year uh, contract to manage one of the um, decks at the at Tartus, which is the um, uh, a naval base, and Russia objected. And now Russian forces, with Syrian forces, expelled these militias that had come in to operate this naval facility. And we've seen other areas uh, of tension uh, them and a, a Syrian general, very high-ranking one, who had been associated with uh, Hezbollah and Iran, somehow um, w- was assassinated while walking in uh, in, in Syria, uh, and he in um, uh, and he, uh, you know, his his removal has raised a lot of speculation about why. I mean, he was walking, I think, in Sweden. Uh, in uh, Sueda, which is in southwest Syria, when the Brigadier General Al-Ahmad uh, met his fate. So this is an important message that uh, nobody's taken credit for it yet, but the Russians are being much more aggressive in trying to limit Iran's capacity and presence there. At the same time, we see the, the announcements that Iran can have weapons-grade uranium in six to eight uh, months and that some say even even less and the uh, revelations of these huge cavernous underground facilities where they have ballistic missiles and there's movies where you can see rows and rows of these missiles not just being assembled and not just being stored but they have the ability through this these uh, launch uh, sites in the, these underground facilities that they can launch through this ceiling and you have them uh, ready for for action. Um, so the Iranians, uh, who have also been reported to have launched several Kormashar missiles in, since um, December of, 19, of 18, uh, through the beginning of this year, well into the beginning into this year, uh, are are more active and more aggressive, uh, pushing the the limits. The foreign minister of Germany ran to Iran this week to negotiate and to try to save the JCPOA. At the same time, the Germany reveals that they have evidence of, of the Iranians trying to get dual-use technology and that believe that, the, um, that they are working both on their nuclear program and on the missile uh, advances. Um, so Russia is pushing for a summit of the leadership of, for, to discuss the JCPOA with the Europeans. Uh, we'll see whether they really want to go along with it. But there's a very important meeting coming up where Russia, Israel, and the United States, the national security advisors, are meeting. 
And I think that's going to be very telltale about the future direction. Have the Israelis seen those movies, those films you were referring to? Absolutely. I mean, it, it, by the way, well, I'll get to that in a second, but I mean, should we expect action? Should we expect some type of, I don't know, I mean, you no UN resolution is going to happen. <laughs> so, I mean, should we expect some type of serious Israeli reaction to this at this point? Or well, there's just no Israel way of... did strike, by the way, at a, uh, um, a base where they produce Iranian drones. And, um, you know, there was reports of that they hit the T-4 Air Force Base because Hezbollah moved its facilities from the Damascus Air Force Base, which had been hit repeatedly by Israel, to this more remote base and uh, thought because Russians did it, they'd be protected. In fact, Israel eliminated the, the factory there. Um, there were... Some missiles launched again uh, towards the Hermon. They fell within Syrian territory, so you didn't see a response to it. But Israel has been making it very clear they're not going to tolerate the, um, right. you know, these continued uh, actions. But I think the message has been pretty clear. Is is it a coincidence that the the pressure that you just described that Russia is now applying, and the greater interest that they're taking in terms of Iran's, you know, presence in Syria, etc. Is that the reason that there's an impression that the U.S. is becoming a little bit more mainstream toward Iran? The, the media, and I know the, the media bias in general, so it could be just that, uh, they're painting a picture that President Trump is really towing a much more even line with Iran over the last month than he was, not talking as tough and certainly um, you know, proposing you know, more talks, so to speak. Does, does the Russian uh, involvement or the Russian overseeing of the Iran situation have anything to do with that? No, I, I believe that uh, I, I don't think it's so much related to to the Russian involvement as um, uh, you know Iran has been crippled and is being crippled by the sanctions. They're really having an impact, and I think it limits their ability in Iran. It limits Hezbollah, which is out fundraising all the time. It doesn't stop him. It doesn't mean that they don't um, that they, they, they can't continue. But uh, Tamir Heyman, who used to be the head of military intelligence, just gave an assessment this week. Uh, about this, um, uh, showing how the sanctions uh, have hit them, their military capacity and the capacity to to operate and and to support the militias, which they have all along wanted to integrate into the Syrian regular army. They have about thirty thousand members of their militias, Iranian-backed Shiite militias, and they always wanted to have them um, be part of it. But the arrests uh, of pro-Iranian Syrian activists by some of the security forces, which was ordered by Russia, and sometimes with Russian military police uh, uh, being involved. But the, the I think the American attitude is we have him in a unique position now. We, would, we don't want to go to war. I don't think either side wants a war right now. But that the uh, so you always show that the door is open to negotiations, so that the Europeans and others who still back the JCPOA and still you know condemn the United States for its actions of, of breaking away from it, will see. Look, they're holding out an unconditional offer to negotiate, right. and the Iranians reject that too. Uh, the ten thousand that you mentioned in terms of the rockets, the stockpiles. That I, I, was it. The new PA premier. Somebody made a statement this week about there being. A hot summer coming from yes, God. It was the new prime minister of the PA, uh, Palestinian Authority, did say that. And, 
also we've heard from some of the leadership, but the the reports are that Hamas does not want it. They don't want to see destruction of their capacity again, and the people inside don't want to pay a price with the the bombing that Israel did. took a, a toll on, on especially on the supporters of, of Hezbollah and those of uh, Hamas and those involved with them. Uh, it's more likely that Pij, which is more more directly controlled by Iran, will be uh, um, much more active. Uh, but both are, are are a threat. And um, I, I mean, I, I would is it is it official now that there's going to be no revelation of a peace agreement or peace plan or you know i forgot what it called deal of the century is it is it now official that's no not at all so it could happen before the election takes place still no they have not said that and uh, i'm no, not I'm, sure they're going to wait right what i'm asking right. they have the meeting in bahrain coming up and they're not canceling it. right in other words i'm asking is it official that it'll be after the september election so it's not really official but you would say it's unofficial like there's an understanding that they probably wouldn't do this before the election well, I, I don't think they're going to reveal the political aspects of it. I think it's going to be the economic, and that's why the meeting in Bahrain is so important. And from all that I know right now, it's still on track to, to happen. Uh, do I think the elections could impact their ability to to advance this and to get Israel engaged? Yes. I think it's very hard before an election. And then everything that happens, of course, gets politicized. So, uh, And the Palestinians don't want to participate anyway. This is probably going to delay that the process definitely. And what is meant when PA officials say that it's that Israel is responsible for the financial future of the Palestinians in Gaza? Um, that that means what? That there has to be a responsibility by Israel to, that they need to take on in order for there to be financial stability in the region. What are they expecting? Well, if the regime collapses, then. Theoretically, Israel could be held by the international community to account for responsibility to make sure that um, food and all the basic necessities are there. Um, But I think that the assertions were very effectively responded to by uh, Jason Greenblatt uh, and and said, look, you you can blame everybody else. But he held them to account for the failure and that they're the ones who are punishing the Palestinian people and denying them their rights and the economic uh, um, uh, development and uh, you know you saw this story with just uh, two of them. One that Iran gave six hundred thirty-one thousand dollars in Gaza to the families of of the quote martyrs, those who who rioted at the right. gates and were killed or, or wounded. And you see the direct link, but also that the PA voted itself, the cabinet, secretly a, a series of lavish payouts and perks including a 67% salary hike, but retroactive to 2014. This is at a time when they're not paying their senior government officials. The civil service um, uh, are are not uh, uh, getting jobs. And the level of corruption, again, highlighted by this, and there's much more there about all the nepotism, et cetera, that goes on. So, um, you know, the, the... PA is trying to say we can't negotiate with this administration, that the Trump administration is too pro-Israel, too too one-sided, that they won't go to Bahrain, and the Arab countries are trying to press them uh, to show up. But most of all, I think many of them just washed their hands of them. Um, The administration has consistently been trying to to cajole them to to come in, and it's, it's the same 
that uh, they are even line that they never miss an opportunity <laughs> to miss an opportunity. Yeah, and all those stories of corruption are easy to believe. Reminder, everybody, the Jewish Heritage Cruise, uh, which will offer extensive lectures and incredible Jewish interest excursions at every port, including places like Poland, Lithuania, Russia, Finland, Sweden, Berlin, etc., uh, memorable and moving post-cruise Shabbat in Berlin, hosted by Stephen Weil and Malcolm Holmline. It all starts July the 9th, part of Costa Rica. You could log on to CostaRica.com. By the way, there's a phone number here you can call, toll-free, 877-724-5567. You could also email 613-TRAVEL at gmail.com and act fast because, again, this cruise leaves with Malcolm on the 9th of July. Uh, Mr. Honline, I take this opportunity to wish you a wonderful Shabbos and Yom Tov ahead. And uh, let us hope that the, uh, the Jewish people have a peaceful Yom Tov and that some of the issues we discussed today are resolved in a positive manner going forward. And that we all renew our commitment and our bonds with the Kodesh Baruch Hu and his Torah and that we declare loudly that we are going to do more and act more, both in, in what we do with our lives, but also how we react to all the challenges that we've been discussing. Yeah, amen to that. Thank you so much for a wonderful Shabbos. Have a great Shabbos and great young. J.M. in the A.M., 21 minutes after 8 o'clock.